Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where each and every week, the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader and investor. For more information, products, services, and detailed show notes, including a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Janine Cox, Senior Analyst at Wealth Within. Now, as you probably are aware, if you followed my recent podcasts, I'm talking about oil. Now, in the first podcast, I mentioned a bit about the history of oil. I talked about the Seven Sisters, which is the um, countries in the West, and the formation of OPEC. And then what happened in the 60s, in in 67, there was a six-day war. It was a supply war and it impacted prices. I talked about the relationship between the West and the East and how that deteriorated and oil became a traded commodity. In two, I talked about targets for the oil price and I also mentioned a few things that happened in the 70s and 80s with the supply and the market, um, the, the OPEC share of the market. Now, in this podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the downside risk first. Now, while oil is looking really strong, we all know that as prices rise, they also need to come back to test support, to build support for a further rise if that's to unfold. So now if the oil price comes back, there's a really important level at around $52, which was previously resistance for the oil price. It's just prior to the the, peak, the recent peak, it's just below the recent peak that the oil price traded through. That may be a nice floor for the oil price if it were to come back. Now, if the oil price fell below, say, there's a trough prior to that, 49.13, if oil went um, really strongly south for some reason, then that would be a, a could be a game changer for the oil price and could indicate further weakness and another cycle coming in. However, looking at the way that oil is has been unfolding of late, it's looking quite strong. There may be some short-term volatility, but I'm still sticking with those targets until the, the market itself tells me otherwise. So always be looking at the, the downside risk and looking at levels that the, the stock or market may take out and what that may mean if the price did trade below those levels so that you could be flexible in your thinking. On the upside, I mentioned that in the last podcast, um, there's still further to go for the oil price over time. So looking at, um, just to move on now, because I think in the first podcast, I talked to you a bit about the book that I've been reading. So Money, Politics and Power, and it was all about oil. Um, And this is by um, a chap by the name of Tom Bauer. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that um, and continue on there. I'll go back a little bit through the 70s and the 80s, a few things that I may not have mentioned in the first podcast. So until 1973, this is in the book, Oil traders hardly existed except for a fringe group who, to the irritation of BHP and Shell, some big names that have been mentioned throughout this book, keeps it really interesting, shipped crude from Russia to Rotterdam to supply West Germany and Switzerland. After the Seven Sisters were disabled, BP and Shell no longer felt obliged to protect the Arabs' monopoly. Now, there were many traders who were speculating, who started speculating on the oil price. Gradually, the two companies that were involved um, replaced the fixed price contracts agreed upon with OPEC with contracts based on prices quoted among traders on the day of delivery in Rotterdam. Oil became a traded commodity in an unregulated market subject only to finance from banks and counterparty risk. Now, there was all sorts of manipulation that seemed to be going on over the, the decades of the 70s and 80s. 
and wars that, that were fought over oil. Making a pro- Now, this is out of the book again. Making a profit from the manufacture of the fuels depended on understanding the constraints of the 600 refineries in the world, each calibrated to process a particular crude from roughly 120 types. If a refinery calibrated for Iranian crude was denied supplies, the adjustment to process the alternative heavy crude um, was expensive and time-consuming. So profiting from oil depended on anticipating the circumstances that could cause a disruption of the market or spotting a potential shortage and securing alternative supplies. The biggest profits were earned by breaking embargoes, of which none was more high profile than that against the apartheid regime in South Africa. Then in 73, these traders heard about the forthcoming Arab invasion of Israel. So the traders were looking to buy oil and store it um, so they could take advantage of the changes in the price. They were also looking to sell oil below the world price to companies undercutting the process, undercutting the prices so they could control the supply. Big profits were earned by speculators throughout these periods. Business, it seemed like, like a lot of shifty business was going on. Speculators sought to export the government regulations that came in over the price of oil. This is the Americans trying to control the price of oil. They even went so far as disguising low-quality oil for higher-quality oil to get higher prices. In the 80s, I think I mentioned in my last podcast that OPEC's control had crumbled and BHP was trading oil with other companies or on their behalf. Now, we've all got to remember that in these days there were no computer screens, so it was quite a challenge for the speculators to be able to work out what the last price traded was and to keep up to date with what was going on. So different to today's situation. Now, in 1984, a shell trader formalised the 15-day Brent crude. So that meant that on the 15th of every month, the oil majors were assigned a cargo of 600,000 barrels of Brent crude for delivery the following month. The way it worked was that once the oil major named the day for delivery, the dated Brent could be traded and speculation started. So a forward contract meant a standard paper contract to physically deliver oil at an agreed destination, but in an unregulated market beyond the exchanges in London, New York and Chicago. So they were squeezing rival traders. You see, in this market, the quantity of Brent oil available every month was limited. So one of these traders could profit by buying large quantities for future delivery, hoping that rival traders would eventually be compelled to buy from him at a premium price. And it was called squeezing the market, compelling rival traders, needing the oil to fulfil their own contracts to buy at the set price. For the first time, global oil prices were influenced by traders speculating as proprietors, regardless of the producers or the customers. The OPEC countries, especially Saudi Arabia, hated the game, and even Shell was displeased that their precious commodity created profiteers and casualties. In '83, the market became murkier when one of the traders remained in Switzerland escaped facing criminal charges, including tax evasion. Despite the scandal, a number of companies continued to trade with him, and one of the num companies named in the book is Glencore, which um, some of you may know. I wish we were regulated, one trader lamented, and the reason why was so that he could tweak the rules. The book also talked about how oil trading was an inefficient market. Now, for those who have studied our course um, diploma or the short course, I suggest you go and look it up. I think it's in module one where it talks about the efficiency of a market, um, perhaps module two, and then confirm what that means. It was interesting to read how in the 80s, apparently Reagan uh, wanted to adopt free market principles of supply and demand and let the market determine the prices. 
I think a lot of people were actually speculating that the price would rise when in fact it actually fell. Um, and that, as a result, the American the cost of produ- production in America rose so strongly, so that actually um, destroyed a lot of those producers. Then by the mid-80s, Reagan was said to have been involved in a plan to flood the world oil market to destroy the Soviets. So there's a whole history of um, manipulation and, and all sorts of um, games going on. There are a number of big international banks that are mentioned in the book as well. So it's something that's, um, I think, if you're interested in oil, really easy to have a read, really good idea to have a read of. And um, it's, it's a, it is it's um, an easy read, actually. I was quite surprised, even with all of the facts and statistics here um, mixed in with the, the information that fills in the gaps. So I thought it gives you a bit of history about the people that were involved and the organisations involved. So this book, again, is called Oil, Money, Politics and Power in the 21st Century. Now, if you're trading oil or if you're trading stocks that um, deal in oil, either mining, um, the producers, you may have a number of stocks on your watch list that are involved in this particular area with this commodity, then it's really a good idea to do some research and really understand the oil market itself. Most importantly, though, is to do... a an analysis, a full analysis on the history of the oil chart, um, understand where that's going and then compare that to the stock. Also look at currency and see how the currency Australian dollar compares to the chart of the commodity that you're also investigating, whether it's oil or something else that you're interested in. I hope you've enjoyed my discussion today. I'm Janine Cox, Senior Analyst at Wealth Within. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, products and services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation.